0: Hello, and welcome to the 404 Media Podcast, where we bring you unparalleled access to hidden worlds, both online and IRL. 404 Media is a journalist-founded company and needs your support. To subscribe, go to 404media.co. As well as other bonus content, subscribers can hear us answer their questions in future podcasts. Ask us anything you want, podcast at 404media.co. I'm your host, Joseph, and with me are two Of the other 404 Media co-founders, the first being Sam Cole, hello, and Emmanuel Mayberg. Hey, what up? Where's the other one? (laughs) The other one is on is on location uh, doing journalism. He was just at MGM Resorts, Uh, well, the casinos run by MGM in Las Vegas that's currently undergoing a ransomware crisis. Incident, epidemic, whatever you want to call it. And now he's in New Orleans at a right to repair conference. We literally just published a piece uh, from Jason where he said that iFixit, the repair sort of right to repair organization, has downgraded the current iPhone 14 to uh i mean jason doesn't say this but i'll say it a, a shit repairability score i don't think that made it into the copy but jason is there right now and he's going to be filing stories from new orleans so i'm looking forward to what else he's going to be sending in it's interesting that he's filing all his stories from strip clubs i don't know what that's about but yeah, I don't,
1: yeah it's really weird sponsored by hustler <laughs> yeah. you could say <laughs>
0: For those listeners who did not see the MGM article, (sighs) basically uh, one of the very famous strip clubs in Vegas is offering those impacted by the ransomware incident, well, unspecified benefits. They didn't really say like, oh, you get a free drink or something. They were just like- It was like a free
1: lap dance at least. And some kind of free like membership valued at like $1,200. I don't know. Larry Flint's is unbeatable in the game of PR- grabs (laughs) grabs
0: <laughs> and ju- yes jumping we love on, him for it jumping on marketing and all of that um if you haven't read the piece i will put it in the show notes even though we're not going to talk about it at super length here everyone should go read it especially for the bouncer of the strip club who doesn't really understand why jason's there and him explaining <laughs> he's a journalist trying to cover ransomware it's very very funny uh so at 2
1: p.m that. like the sun is blazing and jason's just you know this yes. to the club
0: yeah, I mean, a perfect time for that. Um, our first story is one I wrote, actually, so it's called Inside Shadow Dragon, the tool that lets Ice monitor pregnancy tracking sites and Fortnite players. Um, I mean, that's quite a self-explanatory headline, or maybe it's maybe it's the complete opposite of self-explanatory because I'm going to so need some more go- explanation because yeah. <laughs> there's so much going on there. Let let me let me uh, give the 30,000 foot view and then maybe a uh, boat for either of you can just chip in w- with a question or two. But basically, government agencies, plenty of them, especially law enforcement and intelligence, use OSINT tools. That's open source intelligence tools. And this is material that people publish online, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, whatever. You know, that's not new. That's been happening for a very, very long time. What's different here is sort of these multiple jigsaw pieces that landed to make this a very interesting and the eyes of experts concerning story. First of all, um, before I let one of you chime in, is the data sets that Shadow Dragon collects. So it's not just the Facebooks and the Reddits. It's also Baby Center, which is a website for expectant parents where they can track their own pe- pregnancy and get resources and I think upload photos, that sort of thing. There's Black Planet, which is a social network specifically for black people. I think it was the MySpace era. I'm not entirely sure. Like it's not exactly current, but you know, there are obvious issues with targeting a platform as demographic as that uh there's fetlife which is the fetish social media network right and then there is the most important of them all Fortnite. the gamers are being targeted or rather the children (laughs) are being targeted i guess um those are not platforms you ordinarily hear about being scraped surveilled and monitored by um a government contractor um emmanuel how do you feel about fortnite being the epicenter of this or maybe also the baby center one as well persecuted once again the gamers <laughs> um yeah i mean
2: it's very odd to me that we're seeing these companies find more nichey niches to scrape and offer the government. So, uh, a few weeks ago, you reported on this company called Fivecast, which does something very similar. And all these companies are doing something very similar, which is when you say open source intelligence, what I imagine is people kind of looking through Twitter manually, analyzing photos, comparing them to Google Maps, and finding the locations of where people are posting from and stuff like that. This is not quite that. This is kind of like an automated scraping and analyzing and crunching and then like spitting out results in order to track people online. And that has been happening forever. A few weeks ago, you report on this company called FiveCast, and part of their pitch, even though they're doing the same thing, it's almost like it's 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 this it's the way they sell it that is the difference to me. And for Fivecast, it was like we're going to look at 4chan, right? It's just like if you want to track white supremacy, which is legitimately a big problem in this country, um, results in violence, results in all sorts of bad things. Um, then it's like, okay, then here's Fivecast. There's a company and they're offering 4chan scraping, targeting, analyzing, etc. And that's novel and very interesting, and it's why you wrote it up. Um, but it also makes sense to me. Fortnite, FetLife, BabyCenter, I struggle to see the intelligence benefit of um, those websites. Specifically, Fortnite is very difficult. I can come up with reasons for um, tracking Black Planet or tracking BabyCenter, but they're incredibly dark reasons. I wonder, is there anything in your reporting that would explain why they're focusing on these websites and why they're pitching their
0: service as being able to target these websites? I would say that it seems to be from the outside looking into this company, there is very much a collect all mentality. I think one of the quotes in their public facing uh, comments is something like collection at scale. Uh, In some of the leaked audio I got from a uh, a talk that someone from shadow dragon gave and that audio was provided by jack paulson from the transparency organization tech uh, inquiry the person there talked about how when they were at the nsa uh they remember turning on the collect mission for like the internet and it was like oh yeah we have all of this data and stuff but we didn't really know what to do with it that person wasn't making this direct comparison, but I feel comfortable doing it in that shadow dragon does seem to be collecting information and then finding like a problem later. You know, it's a solution in in search of a a problem, right? Where it's like, well, we have all this information and it's really, really useful. Um, And the two examples that were given to me first by Daniel Clemens, who's the CEO and founder of the company, when it became, when it came to baby center he said that site is useful for child exploitation um cases and then the second one the fortnite example um the person at the conference didn't actually give a specific use case but more they said oh you can use that to look up an alias on fortnite and then see what other aliases are connected to it to bring that back to your point emmanuel it's like yeah i can see I can like make up an argument for yeah I guess like maybe a predator uploads a photo to baby center or a victim's photo is uploaded up there is uploaded there and you use that to pivot onto something or maybe there's a child hacker who used Fortnite and then you can pivot off that but they're just crazy outliers uh, that I don't know you would necessarily base an entire product on. So, to answer your question, yes, it seems like they are just collecting everything and then, well, you deal with it later, you know? Yeah. Um, can you
2: talk a little bit about this guy, about Clemens? Because he's out there not just talking about his company, but a little bit about his politics, it seems. Um,
0: Yeah, I found that interesting. I didn't go too heavy into this. There's some other stuff about how some of the staff members, at least on their public podcast comments, you know, believe that Elon Musk is going to be great for Twitter, and he's going to protect free speech on the platform. And they're obviously very illuminating to watch now. When, as we're trying to use Twitter today, the website is basically dying and I can't even post a tweet without it having an error. And then obviously all the issues with Elon Musk now saying that he may even charge for the platform uh, in uh, overall, you know, not even for verified people. But yes, Daniel Clemens, he talks about his politics. uh in some of these public-facing podcast episodes. And the reason I included them is because it sort of directly touches on protesting and the use of OSINT tools against protesting. So let me just read out what he says. he He's speaking about, uh, quote, pretty much every different group that's out there protesting right now. There's probably a better way to do it, end quote. Then he says, nobody's going to listen. It's a bunch of noise. And don't be surprised when people are going to investigate you because you made their life difficult and then the last part I'll read out is that quote my word of advice for anybody that's feeling invited into the rage mob of the day is hey man get off social media go buy a lake house get a beach house do something get in debt and get off social media don't get invited into all this rage end quote ordinarily I really really don't care about someone's personal opinions you know unless i'm doing obviously a profile of that person it's integral to the story like i don't i care much more about the technology right uh but here it's pretty obvious that this guy's politics are worth scrutinizing because he is the one selling these open source intelligence tools to ice and then dea and various other people and just the idea that somebody a government contractor can have such a Deliberately and unambiguous anti-protest stance. When you know, just very recently, we had, of course, all the Black Lives Matter protests in, in the wake of George Floyd. Right? It's just um, very, very noteworthy. The government contractor is is saying that sort of thing. Does Does that answer your question, Emmanuel?
2: Yeah, I think it's notable. Also, it's it doesn't mean that we know that uh, ICE uses the technology in this way at all. But I think often when we talk about this type of technology, we, um, you know, people can defend it and say, well, the technology is neutral and it's what people do with it. And we don't know what people are doing with it, but I think it is meaningful to see the person behind it speak openly like this. Um, I think that 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 tells us something about how this t- technology comes about. Um, I had another question which is we're seeing a lot of these tools via contracts with the government. It's the government contracting private companies. Is the government turning to private companies more for these type of tools or is it just that this is the only technology we're able to see because of how the law works and having these contracts be public in some way or
0: it's it's case by case but generally speaking i would say that there is a lot of capability development and expertise in the private industry like look we can ex- experts can criticize Shadow Dragon for what they're collecting and that sort of thing but from everything i've seen they're quite good at collecting that data right uh and they're in a position to do that because it's open source and public so they can go about doing that this saves investigators so much time when they could just be manually clicking through reddit or whatever well here a private company comes along uh they put a lot of r&d into developing the tool and then you know a government contractor pays tens hundreds of thousands or maybe millions if it's a very large contract for that capability in a lot of cases that's going to make a lot more sense to a government agency to i guess you're not even outsourcing it it's just you're buying something off the shelf in the same way that we would buy a product off the shelf like we're using a piece of pocket podcast software right now that you know streamlines everything we we're in a better position using this than we are recording locally in audacity or whatever you know even though that's an option as well so i think it's um It's a combination of the expertise being out there and it just being easier as a capability um, to buy in. I guess just the last thing I'll add uh, before we go to a break and talk about a couple of other stories from you two is this story um, is a combination of a lot of different sort of... Reporting avenues. You know, often you you go out and you talk to former employees and you verify what they say and then you publish it. This had multiple different things where some of the emails that discussed ICE's use of Shadow Dragon were provided to me by Epic, a privacy organization, and they obtained those under the Freedom of Information Act and they're continuing to get documents from that. Then there's the leaked audio from Jack Paulson, and I mentioned, that really, really gave it some color and the Fortnite material was only included in that and then we had you know their public podcast comments i think all three of those were integral to this piece and i know this is a little bit inside baseball but i do think it's interesting there's just like oh there's like three different pillars of reporting here that all came together to tell a much richer story than you could have done if you were missing um any single one of those um All right, well, with that, we will go to a quick break. After that, we're going to talk about somebody who was just arrested and then indicted on sex trafficking charges. I'll put a slight content warning here for that. Uh, And then after that, we're going to talk about Unity, uh, the game engine, and the complete uh, disastrous fallout that's been from a policy change with the company there. We'll be right back after this. And we're back, uh, as mentioned. First, we're going to talk about a couple of stories from Sam. Um, I'll read out both of the headlines right now because they are related, obviously. Uh, But there are some... These were two stories in very rapid, quick succession. It it sort of shows how the story developed over the course of uh, the day. The first is original Girls Do Porn actor and owner of mumpov.com arrested on felony charges. And then the second one, Girls Do Porn actor and mumpov.com owner indicted on sex trafficking charges, obviously an arrest. uh, And then the actual charges came out. Before we get to sort of that latest episode um sam run us through what girls do porn is or was i guess exactly and then that will lead us up to the news so what is uh, girls do porn
1: yeah so girls do porn was a i mean we can just say it bluntly at this point because it's been established it was a sex trafficking ring um it was posing as a legitimate porn company they would Uh, put out ads on Craigslist or, you know, just like ads online where you would get gigs for modeling jobs. And it would usually be lingerie or, you know, it would have varying degrees of like nudity or not and target college women from all over the country to come out to San Diego, meet them in a hotel room. Once they were in the room, a lot of them would be like, oh, What's the deal with the modeling shoot? Suddenly now it's a porn shoot. You've already signed contracts. You can't get out. The door is locked. You know, you can imagine what happens from there. And we don't have to imagine. It's all been established in lots of court documents, testimonials where women are saying they were raped, assaulted, um, you know, physically and emotionally verbally abused into appearing in porn videos. Um, And a big part of this was, Once they got there, the guys who were running the ring would say, well, this is porn, but it's not going to be on the internet. It's not going to be anywhere that your family can see it, your friends can see it. It's going to be on private DVD collections in Australia New Zealand. The story would kind of change every time. But the idea was, you know, you can do this and no one will ever know except for us. And you can still get the money and then we'll let you go home. Um, Obviously, that's not what happened. Uh, they would put these videos all over the internet immediately as you know obviously a way to generate money and income to you know keep the website going and get rich, but also as a way to control the women who were appearing in them because suddenly now they're facing a lot of shame and stigma and isolation in their home communities where people say, "Oh, you appeared in porn. You deserve whatever happened to you." Mm-hmm. So really awful situation. It went on for years. Um, it ended in 2019 or 2020, I think, uh, because they were sued in a civil case by 22 women and hundreds of women were affected by this, but 22 came forward. And then there was a big federal investigation that opened up into the sex trafficking charges, which is what's underway now. And that brings us up to what happened with Douglas Wiederhold, who is the one who was arrested uh, earlier this month in Michigan for sex trafficking charges and hauled down to San Diego. And that's where he appeared in front of a judge last week.
0: Yeah. Before we get to sort of his um, alleged role in this, there's just something I want to stress in that this was not an underground sex trafficking ring. Like you hear sex trafficking ring and you think of secrecy and, and that sort of thing. And of course there's an element of that, but these videos were available on Pornhub these videos were available on massively popular porn sites so i just think it's worth stressing and it's insane to me that a sex trafficking ring was hiding essentially in plain sight for years and years and years and they clearly thought they could um get away with it which brings us to i mean what role did this guy allegedly play in girls do porn and then what's mum POV exactly because I haven't heard of that that sort of section of it.
1: Yeah, so Wiederhold co-owned Mom POV, which was an affiliate site to Girls Do Porn, with the Girls Do Porn ringleader whose name is Michael Pratt. And Michael Pratt was on the FBI most, most wanted list for a really long time for over a year. Um, they couldn't find him; he had escaped they to another country. They assumed uh, right before. The trial, the federal investigation started. So they've been trying to extradite, extradite this guy for a really long time. They just got him earlier this year, I believe. Um, but in Spain. So in Spain, yeah, they they got him in Spain. Um, so Hillstone trial eventually. But uh, Douglas Weirhold was kind of his right hand man for a long time, and he was the original actor in the girls do porn videos for several years. So he was the one appearing in the videos, and of course, you never see. The man's face in these videos, which tells you something about the way they were produced. But um, he was the one who was doing the assaults um, in these videos for years. And then they swapped it out for a new guy when his role changed. So that was his role in the whole thing.
0: Sure. That makes sense. Uh, I guess, I get what, is that the latest? when it comes to the federal investigation or is there been progress on the legal side with the ringleader? Like, what's the latest sort of the investigation overall?
1: Yeah, so the investigation is so far kind of a slow trickle of people involved in the co-conspirators pleading guilty, essentially. I mean, Weirderhole got charged with multiple counts of sex trafficking and conspiracy to commit sex trafficking. And he's pretty fucked. I mean, he's these are serious charges. And so far everyone involved in this case has pled guilty to sex trafficking charges. Um, He's facing multiple counts of this that would put him away for life. If just one of them went through. So that's where he's at. There's been a guilty plea from one of the cameramen. um, A couple of the co conspirators, the actor, I think pled guilty. So it's, really kind of wrapping up to a conclusion, I think at this point where the FBI is trying to find everyone involved so they can kind of get it all, um, you know, finished up as far as charging people. But every day it feels like there's a new, you know, there kind of goes in waves and every day it's like, okay, what else is happening in this case? Because there's more coming forward and more coming forward. And then you have civil trials still going on where women are still coming forward and suing places like Pornhub, which hosted these videos and provided kind of a, a revenue stream for girls porn for many years. So you have two sides of the legal system going on where individuals are coming forward still. And the FBI is still finding people involved to haul into court. Um, yeah. I just want
2: to add um, that we might see legal action on this for years and years to come. And the reason for that is, that the operation was so large, in or had so many victims. There were over 400 women um, involved here, and not all of them are going to say that they were victims. Some of them have gone on and, you know, are like big names in the adult industry. And maybe that means they were victims, and maybe it, it, it means they're not. But it's like, even if you're just talking about, you know, Half of the people who were involved, that's hundreds of women. And all of them have a case against Pornhub because Pornhub benefited from this as well. Like these were unequivocally some of the most popular videos on the site. They were on the front page. Girls Do Porn was an official partner, which means that they have like an official revenue share. On the videos with girls do porn, and all these women have a case. Especially now that there's precedent, right? Like the women in that initial batch, which grew a few times. It's like I think it was at the end it was fifty women, Um, and they won. They or they settled rather with Pornhub, and they got the rights for the videos and they got money. And any woman who was a victim would have like a similar claim. And the only reason I think that it is trickling in like this is because there's so much stigma around being a victim like this. And it is so difficult and painful to come forward, right? Because all you want is for this to die down and for no one to ever speak about the video again. Um, But I think as more women come forward and they win and, you know,
0: you're, you're going to see, you're going to see this for quite a few years. Yeah totally that makes sense and again i would just stress because it really does it's crazy to me Pornhub's involvement here when you say they're an official partner <laughs> one of the most popular websites on the internet was an official partner with an indicted sex trafficking ring i really don't think people uh appreciate that enough and that i I think this story is so much broader than people may realize, and you have to um keep that in mind um all right, let's move to our final story. This one from a manual. The headline is This is a disaster. Game developers scramble to deal with unity's new fees um for those who don't know, Unity is a game development engine, you know the suite of tools and software that developers will use to make a video game. These are a crucial cog uh, in the game industry. And Unity is one of the most popular ones. Um, Emmanuel, you spoke to multiple game developers here. Uh, First of all, explain to us what Unity's change was that caused all of this backlash. and, And what exactly was that backlash after that?
2: Yeah, so basically Unity introduced a new fee. And it's not just a new fee in the sense that it's an additional fee or a higher fee. It's an entirely new way for Unity to monetize its technology. And what Unity wanted to do and what the official plan is, they walked it back a little bit, but currently this is still the plan, is that once a developer hits a certain threshold of, uh, downloads and revenue, they will be fined or sorry, not fined, but they will receive a fee, um, every time someone installs their game. So you have 200,000 installs, you have $200,000 in revenue. And after that, anytime someone installs the game, the developer is hit with a small fee. And initially, um, this was for literally every install, so I could download a game, delete it, download it, delete it, download it every time that counts as an additional fee, and
0: which is the, ripe for abuse
2: clearly. yeah, right it is you know, and in an industry that's known for review bombing um steam, obviously that's a platform where people can leave reviews and they often deal with review bombing it's it's like any time gamers get angry, which is often they could just get together and punish a developer by downloading the game over and over again, Um, which is counterintuitive, right? You'd think that the more people download your game, the more people play your game, the more money you would make. And Unity basically introduced a way where it would do the opposite. And more importantly, I think, is when you are relying on a third party to make your product, then things like this would happen, right? We use a few third party tools to make four, four media. And it is totally possible that at some point ghost or transistor or any one of these services will say, Hey, our overhead is up. We're passing some of the cost on to you. And that's, that happens and it's not great, but it is just part of the business. Here, Developers were upset because this is not something you could plan for, even conceive of, right? It's it, it could potentially totally change your business model, right? So if you're a free-to-play game that's made with Unity, your plan is to pay a fee to use Unity, like an annual license, and maybe some revenue share, like Unity is going to get a cut of whatever you make but the plan is basically that many, many people, millions of people will download your game and a fraction of them will buy things in the game and that's how you make your money. But now every time someone downloads that game, you're paying a fee. The economics of that no longer work. So there's a bunch of problems like that. It's the same for streaming. It's the same for um, Game Pass, which is a service where you pay Microsoft to access a bunch of games for free or, you know, like a batch of games every month um, and basically developers didn't know how Unity was going to handle all of that and there was just like this great sense of panic and anger um, and
0: now Unity has started to walk it back. Well, before we get to the walk back, let me just um, make sure I understand it right. It's not even so much as you say that they introduced a new charge, it's that they radically changed the business model in such a way that it fundamentally changes the calculus of how and whether you should even release a video game. As you say, like you normally have the free-to-play model, and now, well, if 100,000, a million people, five million people download my game, I'm now getting charged for that, and that's going to radically change my economics to the point where I may not even release a game in that format anymore is is that the calculus here yeah yeah i mean i think
2: it's fair to unity say to say that this would be an exception this would be a very small minority of developers uh, but it is true and because you have to cost you have to cross a certain threshold You mean, right yeah you and most games stuff. will not will not will not get there um but it is it is also a problem because Let's say one of our services switched fees. It was too expensive for us. We could fairly easily switch to another service. With game development, you're building something for years and years on top of Unity. So you're locked in, right? It's not just your existing games. It's like if you're currently making a game in Unity and they introduce this fee and you're two years into the process it would devastate you to switch. You know what I mean? So it's like people changing the rules of the contract while you're still working on the project. It's, it's pretty wild. And you could tell how, it's like I could tell how big of a deal this was be- before I even knew the specifics just because of how angry people were on Twitter. And like the developers that I know, how angry they were uh, about this. It's like, It's the games industry, there's a lot of controversy, people get angry all the time, but I've never seen such unanimous anger about anything.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that anger brings us... Um, presumably to the reason, as in that is the reason why Unity made some changes as of recording now, um, sort of the Tuesday after this happened. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> Maybe Unity's gonna completely bin it or something tomorrow. I doubt that. But where do we stand right now with what Unity has done in response after this massive backlash? So within the
2: first 24 hours, Unity walked back the rule that said that multiple installs by the same user will count as the same fee. They walked that back immediately. And it kind of makes you wonder how they didn't even think that people would abuse this. Um, but once people start talking about it, they walked that back. Now they put out a message. They're like, you know, the typical we're listening to you, we're taking feedback. But we haven't heard the specifics yet of what is going to happen. Jason Schreier at Bloomberg has a story that is based on an internal Unity meeting that uh, he heard about. And I don't want to get into specifics of that because I can't independently confirm it. And I don't know if it's actually going to happen. But they're talking about like bigger changes to the entire scheme i don't know if they walk back this runtime fee entirely um but it's possible i would just say that i think at this point no matter what they do it's like they can stop the bleeding but developers eyes are open in a way that the specifics matter but it's more that, oh, this company can completely pull the rug out from under us at any point. And there's very little we can do. And people are looking at other solutions. You know, it's like, as I said, people are locked into Unity for their current projects, previous projects, but I've talked to developers and they're looking at the obvious alternative Unreal, right? That's like a, like a big game engine. And I think more interesting to me is they're looking at uh, Godot, which is an open source game engine. Hmm. which kind of would resolve this issue of the fate of your game being in the hands of a private for-profit company. And I think that's a really interesting thing going forward is, will we actually see the rise of an open source game engine among game developers? Because that could really
0: change the economics of game development yeah that's fascinating when you have an open source platform that of course individual people and maybe coders at companies will contribute to but there is no single overarching third party controlling it and pulling it in any one direction or even monetizing it because you could just fork it and you can just you know do whatever you want with it that's really really interesting i i, I wasn't aware of that um development but we will uh leave it there and i will play us uh, out As a reminder, 404 Media is journalist-founded and supported by subscribers. If you wish to subscribe to 404 Media and directly support our work, please go to 404media.co. That includes playing for Jason's plane tickets to Las Vegas to go look at the ransomware there. You'll get unlimited access to our articles and an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as commenting privileges on the site. You can also submit questions to us for a subscribers-only podcast. You do that uh, at podcast at 404media.co. This has been 404 Media. We will see you again next week.